0: Welcome to the Sunday evening service at Bible Baptist Church in Hampton, Georgia, where Pastor Lauren Regeer opens God's Word each week to provide us with biblically based teaching that helps you meet life head on. Thank you for joining us and may your hearts be blessed as God's Word is taught. And now, here is Pastor Lauren Regeer. Well, amen. The music has been a tremendous blessing to my heart today, preparing. My heart for the words of Scripture. It's always a blessing when a church has that kind of integrity. Their music program, appreciate so much that it's not distracting from the Word of God, but actually honoring to the Lord and the message of His Word. Exodus chapter 12, I encourage you to go there tonight. Exodus 12, we're in the middle of an ongoing sermon. Uh, you, I rarely do that carrying over from the morning. I did this uh, this time because of the theme Of the day, the Passover ties in very well with, uh, of course, the Lord's table, the Lord's Supper. So, Exodus chapter 12, we'll get there in just a moment. We've already established um, that this was an annual reminder, the first of their religious ceremonies of the year. Of course, the Feast of Unleavened Bread was followed by uh, this uh, celebration of the Passover, and it comes from this event in Jewish history when the people were extracted after 430 years from the jaws of Egypt. Really, the whole idea was that the whole world would know there's no God like our God. And God certainly used the hardness of Pharaoh's heart and even demonstrated his great power in overcoming the many false gods, the false deities that Egypt worshiped. The main focus of the nine plagues in Exodus 7 through 10 introduces the final plague uh, that would eventually break the iron will of Pharaoh. The plague, as you know, was the death of the firstborn. Uh, so far, as we, as we found out this morning, the nine plagues, although all of his advisors in Egypt, Pharaoh's advisors, told him, please let the people go, Pharaoh's will was so hardened that it took this final a final plague to break his will and so that he would let the people go. It was the 10th plague in succession. In fact, chapter 11, if you want to look back a page or so in your Bible, chapter 11, verse 1, the Lord said to Moses, yet will I bring one plague. This is after, remember this morning, this is after Pharaoh looked at Moses and says, I don't want to see your face around here anymore. I'm done with you. If you show up at my door, I'll kill you. Well, uh, as a gentleman, Moses bowed out and said, if, if that's what you want, sir. And so he backed away, and uh, this is what God then brought upon the people of Egypt for their hardness of heart. It says, uh, one more plague I will bring upon Pharaoh and upon Egypt. Afterwards, he will, this is God speaking, he will let you go hence when he shall let you go. He shall surely, look at the Bible there in front of you, he shall surely what? Thrust you out. Hence, altogether, it's an interesting phrase. He's going to actually not only let you go, he is going to send you out. Almost like uh, we had a rule back in the mission field, at least in our family, that pets were fine, but no pets were allowed in the house. And I can remember a few cats uh, that, believing they were special, and of course they were special to my mother, but not so much to my dad, decided to cross the threshold and test the rule. My mother, uh, bless her heart, would, would pick up the cat and pet it gently and then set it outside. Our doors were pretty much open in Brazil because of the heat and the, cats were, you know, the neighborhood cats would kind of wander in. bum, would pet the cat, set it outside the door and kind of shoo it away. My dad had another, another protocol with cats that wandered in. And I can remember this. In fact, this was the phrase in our family that was the result flying cats is a thing. I would look out, and dad would thrust the cat <laughs> out of the door. I don't know if you cat lovers are looking at me with uh, a fire coming out of your eyes, but I remember, I can remember out of the open windows and out of the door the cats flying through the backyard as dad was not as gentle with the cats as my mother as it should be. Amen? Well, here is what he's saying. Not only will Pharaoh finally let you go, he will thrust you out. We see that at the end of this tragic uh, night in Egypt. Chapter 11 is preparatory and predictive. The Lord is preparing Moses' heart and the people's heart for what is going to happen, the great devastation finally through the death of the firstborn. Now, remember, there's been three series of three uh, uh, pestilences or plagues, and I won't test you on that, but the river turned to blood. There was frogs and then lice uh, or flies, swarming insects or beetles, pestilence, disease, boils. That was the second triad. And then the last trio was fire and hail mixed together, followed by locusts that really decimated crops all through the land, and then finally darkness. And I would remind you that in all of these plagues, as far as we can tell, the people of Israel, the sons of Abraham, the sons of the covenant, uh, were exempted. This is really uh, just because of their connection to the covenant, to Abraham. They were exempted from these difficulties that came upon the land. And so every time there would be a pestilence that would come and end. Uh, people would notice that in the land or the area of Goshen where the slaves were largely occupied, there was no disease, there was no destruction, there was no devastation. In fact, the Bible says when it came to this pestilence or this plague of light and dark for three days, it was dark, or at least there was a period of time that it was dark. And there in Goshen, there was there was no darkness. Can you imagine living in Egypt during this plague and walking from utter darkness or sheer darkness across this, this light where the Jews lived and just wondering now. And the God did that. The Bible says in order that there would be a difference, he would make a difference between, of course, the Gentile idolaters and his people. Uh, Genesis 3 at the calling of Moses says in chapter 319, I am sure, uh, this is kind of working, uh, this uh, kind of looking forward to what the king of Egypt would do, chapter 319 says, I am sure that the king of Egypt will not let you go, no, not by a mighty hand. That could be rephrased or put another way. He will not let you go, The Pharaoh will not let you go unless compelled By a mighty hand. And this morning we introduced this message in two parts as God, the one who has a strong hand for the new year. And we spent some time just looking at the drastic uh, difference between the people of God and, of course, the people of Egypt and the gods of Egypt and the God who is the one with the powerful, strong arm. And there's an emphasis on God's power in the deliverance of the people of God from the jaws or the slavery in Egypt. God does not want us to forget his amazing power. And I know that we're living a long time removed from this day, but I want to encourage you this year to make much of the power of God in your life not just over perhaps miraculous things like splitting the Red Sea, although that is the benchmark for God's amazing strong hand in the Old Testament. The benchmark in the New Testament, Ephesians chapter 1 tells us, is the resurrection of his dear son from the grave, right? That is the the benchmark, Ephesians chapter 1 tells us that is exceeding greatness. Let me read some of those verses. I know we're in Exodus 12, but uh, these are familiar words in the New Testament. Again, the benchmark there is the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that the eyes of your understanding would be enlightened, that you would see, dear brothers in Christ and sisters, what is the hope of his calling, the riches of his glory, and what is the exceeding greatness, finish that, of his power. To us Word. Or, of course, to those of us who are saved, who believe according to the working of, he says it again, his mighty power. The New Testament culmination, the highest benchmark, of course, of this display of power was what happened at the open tomb, the grave where Jesus overcame death and hell by his own power, the resurrection, which he wrought in Christ, verse 20 of chapter 1 of Ephesians, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead. And so if that kind of power is available to us and in us, then there ought be no fear as we approach the next year, right? This year. And some of us are a little bit perhaps on our heels thinking, uh, just like the Jews may have been thinking after 430 years of separation from any kind of religious practice and religious instruction that perhaps God is dead, After all, we've not seen him work around our parts for a long time. They're in Egypt and God raises his mighty arm and power. That was all really by review of this morning. So they are removed uh, from the death grip that uh, that, uh, Egypt had upon them by the 10th plague. And there are so many similarities that we're going to see here in chapter 12 between are signs that connect us in this Passover celebration to what Christ did for us on the cross. But we have to understand that Christ himself submitted himself to the slavery, really, or the whips of those around him, just like there's so many connections, right? And, and he stretched out his arms, and, and just as we will see the blood on the lentil doorpost, we see that this is a mark of, of the coming crucifixion. And God did that. He took our beating. He took our persecution and our punishment. He shed His blood for our redemption, our buying out of sin. And He's uh, got a wonderful future for us, not on the other side of the Red Sea, but in glory. And so God fulfills all the types, doesn't He, in this wonderful Passover celebration. He was gonna, He's going to remove us, as He did with uh, Mary, uh, our dear friend this In fact, this morning, I think it was about 9 a.m., she was finally released from the body of sin and she's enjoying the glories of heaven. And so the power of God delivers. Tonight, just for a few moments, the blood secures and the word assures. We're not going to take a lot of time, but let's read some of the verses in chapter 12. The Lord spake unto Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, again, this is a detail of what they were to do to prepare for the coming night in which... Uh, the Lord would deliver his people from Egypt. This month shall be unto you the beginning of months. That's why we're looking at this now in our schedule. This was to be uh, an introduction to a new way of life for them. It was exciting to think about. It shall be the, you shall celebrate this in the first month of the year to you. Speak to all the congregation of Israel saying, in the 10th day of this month, it, of course, correlates in the Hebrew calendar, the Jewish calendar, March, April. They shall take unto them every man a lamb, according to the house of their fathers, a lamb for a house. This was to be a household celebration. And if the household be too little for the lamb, let him and his neighbor next to his house take it according to the number of souls. Every man, according to his eating, shall make your count for the lamb. You could, you could bring your neighbor into the equation if necessary. Your lamb shall be without blemish, uh, spotless, a male of the first year, and, should, and you shall take it out from the sheep or a kid of the goats, and you shall keep it until the 14th day, three full days, uh, the same month. And they were supposed to tie it up near to the house. The whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it in the evening. Everyone would, uh, would slay the lamb, butcher the lamb in the evening of the 14th day. And they shall take of the blood and strike it upon the two side posts and the upper door post of the houses wherein they shall eat it. Picture that. There is a blood then on one side of the door post, blood on the other side, and then blood above it as well. And they shall eat the flesh in that night, roast with fire, unleavened bread. Of course, we mentioned that this morning. Leaven was a sign always of evil sin, the influence of it. They were to sweep their house and really rid their house and uh, even their recipes of all leaven. And with it bitter herbs they shall eat it, the Passover meal. They shall not eat it raw nor boiled, sodden it all with water, but roast it with fire, the head, the legs. With the pertinence thereof it was to be roasted whole. And ye shall let nothing of it remain till the morning. That which remaineth of it in the morning shall ye burn with fire." And thus shall ye interesting, verse eleven, you're to eat it with your loins girded, in other words, their traveling clothes on, belt were girded together, ready for travel. And the reason that is, is because God that night was going to deliver them, and they needed to get out of there. I think the Hebrew is skedaddle. No, I'm kidding. But they needed to get up and get moving. And so they were to eat this meal in haste. In fact, men of the house were supposed to eat that ready to travel and with a staff in one hand. Your staff shall be in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. We still haven't really had a good definition of that. For here it comes. I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, this night, and I will smite all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and against all the gods of Egypt will I execute judgment. I am the Lord. This is perhaps the most solemn And sacred chapter in the Old Testament as it comes to God's judgment of the land. And the blood shall be to you for a token or a sign, an indicator upon the houses wherein ye are. And here's the phrase I think you ought to underline if you have not underlined. When I see the blood on your doorposts, I will pass over you and the plague shall not be upon you to destroy you when I smite the land of Egypt with this final plague. And this day shall be unto you for a memorial. And we uh, hear the words echoing in our mind as Christians in the New Testament. This do in what? Remembrance of me. And ye shall keep it a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. Ye shall keep it a feast by an ordinance forever. Let's just stop there. But the directions were very specific about this feast. the, uh, The lamb was to be chosen on the tenth day. Uh, again, the month of Abib or Nisan, lamb was chosen, brought to the house, kept from the 10th to the 14th day, and then um, it was slain on the 14th day. And God is essentially saying, even though you have not yet been delivered, these are things that we want you to keep in advance in prediction of in prophecy of this great deliverance. And so take this lamb. And I'm wondering. As many of them, perhaps, this was the first time this was ordained for the people of God. Uh, They were probably thinking, why a lamb? And and then, of course, they were very familiar with sacrificial system, uh, but it had been a while. And so why a lamb and why blood here on this side of the door and on the outside on this side of the door and the top? And I'm sure I can just see some of the little ones as they gathered around Dad as he's obeying this because he did every. The Bible says every Jewish home did this. The questions that must have come up. Did you know it was six to 700 years before execution by crucifixion was even invented or come up with? And yet already, what do we see? Uh, A predictor of what and how God would stretch out his arms and die for the sin of the world. And there was a picture there even... In the door, every head of the household was to choose the best spotless lamb or kid goat that they had and teach the significance of the ceremony to the whole family. This was not intended to be a a celebration to enjoy solo or in solitude. And I think there's a great principle for us as dads and heads of household is, is this that God wants us to take the leadership in. And not only doing what God asked us to do in terms of religious uh, discipline, but to be a leader, Uh, this was to be a a household uh, observance, to be leaders this year with our families, not to let our wives lead, but to be the spiritual leaders, calling the family together, making much of God's word, his power, remembering by His Word and the study of it, the greatness of our God, pointing often our family to the cross, that we are a spiritual family called out by God for His eternal purposes. And as a dad, I'm going to lead in this. As a dad, I'm going to take. That's what that's what the Bible says here. This was a household, a family celebration, and it's exciting to know that the primary purpose of this was to include the whole family. Look at verse 24 of chapter 12, if you don't mind, verse 24 of chapter 12. And ye shall observe this thing for an ordinance to thee and to thy sons forever. It shall come to pass when ye become to the land which the Lord shall give you. And already, again, there's this excitement building. You mean we're actually going to get out of here? He's already promising that they will. Chapter 12. When you finally get out of here, and you will, This is the night where you will be released and you come to the the, the land of promise which the Lord will give you according as he has promised that ye shall keep this service and it shall come to pass when your children shall say unto you what mean ye by this service that ye shall say it is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover when God in Egypt saw blood on the post he passed over those houses and no death came because there was already death provided by the substitute lamb who passed over the houses of the children of Israel in Egypt when he smote the Egyptians and delivered our houses. And the people bowed their head and worshiped. So the lamb was selected, kept three days, and slain in the evening of the 14th, all leaven removed. The blood was to be sprinkled on the doorposts and lentil with hyssop, um, a bitter herb. And then there was a sign of the cross, as I indicated well before that form of execution was ever, ever in place. And so it was fascinating to me that already God is preparing the heart of the people, not only for a great deliverance from Egypt, but what? For the greatest deliverance of all from sin. And uh, how important it was them to understand. Abraham, as I mentioned, the sons of Abraham were literally exempted from the other nine uh, plagues. But in this particular plague, they were asked to participate in what is called this sign. Every one of the Jews uh, had to put this blood on the post of their door or they would be killed. What does that tell you? God didn't ask the Jews to, to participate in any way in any other of the plagues, and they were exempted, kind of by gratis, because they were connected to the sons of the covenant. But in this one, he says, you, you either do this or your firstborn is going to die. What does that tell you? I know it's a big Sunday school class tonight, but it tells us that sin is not an Egyptian problem. It's universal. The blood has to be appropriated and applied to every house, to every home, to every heart, Jew, Gentile, bond or free. And so that's the real significance. The blood secured their freedom from the sword of the death angel, not their birth. You're not going to get into heaven because you know somebody that, that's saved. You're not getting into glory because your parents got saved. You have to appropriate the blood to your life, your heart and life. What a dreadful day then, or night, I should say. It was a night like no other when the destroyer, the death angel, verse 23, tells us, uh, began his, his work, his uh, dreadful work that night. And verse 20, for the Lord will pass through, not only the destroyer, it says, for the Lord will pass through to smite the Egyptians. When he sees, and when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two side posts, the Lord will pass over you and will not suffer the destroyer to come into your houses to smite you. Interesting is the cooperation between the Lord and the destroyer. I have a picture in my mind. It may not be true how closely they work together, but I do think God certainly oversaw all the angels, including Satan himself, really belong to God they work god's will by permission. And so the destroyer glad to kill because that's the nature of the devil, he ca- he's come to kill, steal and destroy was glad to put to death. In, in fact, the Bible says that in every home, non-Jewish home, there was a death, not only in the homes of humans but in the in the stables and stalls of the animals as well that remained. Many of them were killed already. But uh, this this combination of god I see it in my mind's eye, God and the death angel as they make their rounds through every street in every town in Egypt. Stable by stable, door by door, they flew house to house from palace to dungeon, city to country, fields and forests. And mothers screamed that night as the candles began to come on throughout the night As in every home, the death angel worked his dreadful way, and parents held the lifeless form of their firstborn son in every home. And on they went. On they went through every street, and finally to Goshen they came. The angel flew again by the permissive will of the Lord Jehovah. His sword, wet with the blood of thousands, laughing and longing for more. For the Bible, uh, verse 30 tells us, of chapter 12, tells us, And Pharaoh rose up in the night, he and all of his servants and all the Egyptians, and there was a cry in Egypt, for there was not a house where there was not one dead. And the devil, even more encouraged by all this death, leaned into the neighborhood called Goshen, where all the sa- all the slaves, lived. He was more than happy to put to death God's chosen people, God's covenanted people. And he comes to this neighborhood, he raises his sword again. And this time he comes to homes where there's blood indicating and marking the doors. And as his hand goes up or reaches for the door to enter the latch and go in and kill as he's killed thousands, the Lord raises his hand and says, no, no. Not here, not in this house or that one or that one. Look at the door, look at the posts. These are all marked. The blood is already there. You must pass over. And on this, this destroyer goes and sees house after house where there is the mark of the cross, the blood applied, the lamb, the substitute has already died in the place of that firstborn. The blood secures. When I see the blood, I'm sure the destroyer must have frowned and grit his teeth as his sword hit the ground as God's arm went up and said, look, the blood has been applied. We don't get to heaven, do we? Unless the blood is applied. The blood secures our pardon. The blood secures our freedom. The Savior smiles The son is spared by the death of the lamb. So we saw this morning the power of God delivers. Tonight the blood secures. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. Chapter 12, verse 13. The blood shall be to you for a token upon the houses where you are. And when I see that, by your obedience, by your faith... Even before the time comes, prepare your heart because it's coming. The death angel, the destroyer is coming. But when I see the blood, I will pass over you. The plague shall not be upon you to destroy you. I wonder tonight, just us, have you ever applied the blood of Christ to your sinful heart? Have you rejoiced? Have you trusted in that finished work and that alone? Well, what word is it that secures us, or I'm sorry, that assures us? What word is it? Well, I've just read it a couple times again and again. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. The blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from what? All sin. Has the blood of Christ been applied to your house, to your heart? to your home. His power delivers, his blood secures, his word assures. Are you washed, marked, protected by the soul-cleansing blood of the Lamb? Thank you for joining us today. Please tune in each week for new messages from Pastor Lorne Regeer at Bible Baptist Church in Hampton, Georgia. Until next time, may the Lord bless you and keep you and make his face shine upon you.